Hello, friends, and welcome back to Anything But Toto, the music review podcast where we listen to anything except Toto. Please do not make us listen to Toto. I'm Julian Muya. I'm Bianca Tamori. And before we continue, we just want to give a quick shout out to our friend and also my musical partner, Daniel Konikoff, for uh, creating that earworm of a theme song. I've been humming it all week. (laughs) So good. So good. Uh, So, Bianca, what are we reviewing today? We are reviewing a new release from one of my favorite artists ever, Sob Rock by John Mayer. Right. And what's your relationship with John Mayer? <laughs> my other, the other JM I'm emotionally involved in. Um, so I kind of wrote off John Mayer growing up. I was like, ah, oh, kind of like your body's a wonderland waiting on the world to change. Wasn't really my cup of tea. Um, but then I got really into John Mayer when <laughs> I got a little bout of anxiety and I looked up, I Googled celebrities that also have panic attacks. Cause you know, you want to feel stars. They're just like us. And then that's when I really got into John Mayer and I started listening to him from beginning to end. And, um, I think he got wrongfully characterized as kind of like the douchebag, the pick me douchebag guy at the party with a guitar type thing after his um his remarks, his controversial remarks about Jessica Simpson, mm-hmm. which I'm sure most of you listening are familiar with. Um, but he's so much more than that. And I'm really about the justice for John Mayer campaign, even though I feel like he's kind of gained that in recent years. Ever since Born and Raised, he's been pretty pretty much on his game in terms of people looking forward to his releases and being, I I think, at the top of his career in terms of like material he makes and everything. But I don't know. I find John Mayer is kind of like some people I don't, I personally don't get Bob Dylan. I think he's not that good and sorry, I'm going to say it. But for me, John Mayer is kind of like in that camp of like, if you get it, you get it. And you're really into it when you kind of take the time to jump into it. Except John Mayer is a better musician, in my opinion. Oh, hot take. Oh, hot take. I don't believe you. John Mayer and I, we don't go back too far as much as some of my other musical interests, but I love him just as much, even though it's been since maybe second year university for me. Yeah, I didn't have the same relationship with John Mayer that <laughs> relationship. Such a relationship. funny way of putting it. <laughs> uh, with his, I didn't have the same relationship with John Mayer's music that you did. I actually got into John Mayer through you. Yeah, well, actually, he was probably one of the only artists that you and I didn't really share in terms of like nerding out over and... Well, do you want to talk about some of the other 2000s artists you liked? Okay, that's like a <laughs> casual surface level thing, though. Jack's Mannequin. <laughs> okay, that was I like, like two. Everyone loves Dark Blue and the mixtape. Everyone watched One Tree Hill. Leave me alone. It's true. Everyone did watch One Tree Hill. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't have. I, I didn't really have a connection with his music. I also thought he was kind of like grocery store music. Or like, I was gonna say Shoppers Drug Mart and buying vitamins. Your body's in Wonderland's play. Optimum points yeah. music. Which I do like, Optimum points. And you kind of got me into John Mayer, and I always find myself in conversations lately <laughs> defending him. See? I have an emotional investment in John <laughs> Mayer now that where I'm always defending him to like, you know, my mom is like, well, you know, John Mayer's reputation. And I'm like, Yeah, well, his reputation precedes him. Yeah, but he's also kind of rehabilitated his image, I believe. I agree with you on that. And he's so funny hilarious and actually you know what we should probably give full disclosure we're talking about sob rock today but we're actually going to be seeing john mayer we are on the sob rock tour so we might be a little biased but i feel like we're still gonna have a very constructive we're gonna have a really constructive conversation and i also we've seen him i've seen him once before i've seen him twice you've seen him twice Mm -hmm. yeah 
but he's a powerhouse. And I think a lot of people look past, like obviously people who maybe aren't a fan of him know that he's a wizard when it comes to guitar. He went to Berkeley for a period of time and he's really respected in, in at the blues rock or different guitar nerd communities. But why I love him personally is because he's like a master of melody. He's a powerhouse of a yeah. songwriter. He knows how to write catchy pop songs because he himself is also a fan of catchy pop songs. And um, you can hear he's kind of like the perfect amalgamation of his influences, in my opinion. You can hear a little bit of of the Bee Gees. You hear some Prince. You can hear the Beach Boys at certain points. Like you can hear a little bit of everything in his music while it's still uniquely him. Even which I love. some. Eric Clapton, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah but, but he makes it. And, well, I actually have here written in my notes, Eric Clapton ain't got shit on John Mayer. I'm, I'm just starting yeah. with all my hot takes today. Yeah, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, Bob Dylan and Eric Clapton suck. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you're coming right out of the gate. Yeah, I am. Um, the great thing about John Mayer, like you kind of alluded to, he's a jack of all trades. He, he can write a pop song. He can write like a jazzy song. Like, you know, uh, he's got these really intricate chords. He can play guitar in a very his guitar playing is very soulful but very tasteful it's very melodic too yeah he's hum it back right away exactly and like it's another voice exactly and he can play anything he wants to like like he's a virtuoso but the thing is that if the song is only calling for him to play two notes on the guitar he'll play just the two notes that's what i love he always plays for the song he serves the song yeah always serves <laughs> he's a the modest song. king <laughs> And the other thing with John Mayer that's, that makes him a truly great artist, like the kind of artist that, you know, 30 years from now people will be talking about, is that John Mayer sounds like John Mayer. Like you said, he's kind of this amalgamation of all of his influences. But at the end of the day, it just sounds like John Mayer because he has such a distinctive voice, such a distinctive guitar sound, that that beautiful, rich strat sound you oh, know it's so good and these beautiful harmonies he has his own sound you know just like the beatles have their own sound elvis has his own sound totally and i think like our children's generation and everyone else's grandchildren whoever they're all going to be looking back at this period of musical history and be like oh like i'm so jealous you got to see john mayer because he's one of those artists that you dig into his catalog and he's made jokes about this in the past where he knows he's not a singles artist he's like like sob rock is it went to number one i think on the billboard charts for um rock album but he's not like a, a chart topping number one hit single kind of guy with all the, the radio airplay he's very much like his fans go through his um who through his albums and love every single track and that's why when you go see someone like john mayer they're diehards people like every song he plays there's somebody losing their minds because that's the song that they love and every that's what that's what i think is pretty cool about uh, an artist like john mayer yeah and he also doesn't play his you know big hits well he live. plays like like the big hits amongst the fans but like that's what i mean like yeah. he, does, he doesn't play the shoppers drug market exactly music. but he'll play neon and he'll play like vultures and, and yeah. songs like that where you're like oh yeah he's not playing waiting on the world to change or your body's a wonderland exactly he's, he's playing deep cuts for for fans mm -hmm. you know and these are songs that are very complex but they're also very accessible at the same time and that's kind of and that's a good way of putting it if you had to make a coat of arms for <laughs> john mayer it would be like some fancy logo and then it would say complex and accessible 
I would love to see his, especially like his recent aesthetic, apply to a coat of arms. Oh, yeah. A lot of teal. <laughs> yeah, like the new light kind of video aesthetic. But yeah, so we're super excited to talk about Saw Rock because this was a release that I was really looking forward to. And um, I was really eager to talk to you about it. And, you know, given the nature of uh, what we're doing here, I didn't get to do that. So now it's kind of our time to open the floodgates, if and you will. And compare our notes. Yeah, swap some notes. Shall we start with the first song? We shall. Let's do it. Let's do Last Train Home. I'm not a fallen angel. All right, Long Train Running by... Oh, wait a minute. No, no. Wrong song. Last Train Home by John Mayer. The first track on his eighth, eighth studio album. We realized album. Lo- we looked up. Yeah. I looked it up. Okay, so who's going to say it? The irony in this. I know, Our I know. Our podcast is called Anything But Toto, and this is probably the closest thing to Toto we're going to get in terms of material our second episode we're already <laughs> talking about toto even they though found we found a way so listen we should probably talk about that title really quickly yep we're not particularly this is going to surprise you considering the album we're talking about we're not huge 80s fans oh that's a whole thing i have written down over here we are not 80s fans unless we're talking some talking heads cramps you have an cure. 80s exception playlist i do all of uh which the aforementioned artist are on it stone roses it's still if you want to get technical yes yeah <laughs> and why don't you like 80s music why don't we like 80s music well 80s music where do i begin basically it's, it sounds older it, than that's 60s the thing. and 70s music so because 80s music wanted to integrate all of the production of the time whether that's plugins pedals tools anything to do gated with like drums. gated drums um excessive chorus effects on um the guitar Anything like that pretty much was the shoulder pads in the auditory world of music. It pretty much timestamps when things are from. That's a great way to put it. So there's a lot of bad production. Totally. And it becomes kind of cheesy. You have those like big and like anthemic reverberated drums, which of course they wanted them to jump out of the radio. Yeah. But it just like gated drums even we were in audio school gated drums just simply ain't right the only time i like gated drums is if we're talking like girlfriend is better by talking heads you put an example of that here yeah that's to me just like it it makes you want to dance it's effective and certain bands use it where it almost sounds tongue-in-cheek or they're using enough elements or they're not relying on the production of the time to to make the song where it it works Mm -hmm. but so many songs from the 80s just they use production as a crutch and it hurts me yeah and this is an 80s album but it's not like weezer's teal album you know it's riding that 80s nostalgia wave that's been going on with like stranger things and like 1989 taylor swift uh this kind of synth pop revival but we're talking about Taylor Swift again. Sorry. We love her. Uh, 1989 and Sob Rock, I think, do the 80s tastefully. The 80s nostalgia completely tastefully. completely agree with you. I actually was thinking that today. I'm like, that album and Sob Rock both make me think like, oh, like I really love modern interpretations of my least favorite decade of music. And I've never disliked, like, I don't know what band has put something out that's 80s inspired other than the Darcy's where I've not liked it i think it's been pretty i don't know it's interesting to hear a modern take on it i think 
Yeah, and like just as an example, this song doesn't really have gated drums. No, it doesn't. You know, they're very clean drums. The eighties elements are those synth stabs. The dun dun. Yeah, and that's a very Toto thing. That's Some the Toto Africa. element. Yeah, that's the Toto element. It sounds like Africa. And actually, um, two members from Toto are on this track. Forgive me, Toto fans, if you're listening, which I doubt you are, given the title of our podcast, but Lenny Castro and Greg Philigans. Two people involved in, in the musical happenings of Toto are involved in this record of Last Train Home. And I think it's executed well, mm-hmm. you know. But how do you feel about this song overall, other than 80s? I think it definitely grew on me because when I was really, like I mentioned, I was really excited for Saw Rock to come out. I was really looking forward to it. And then this was the single I heard leading up to it, aside from New Light and the ones we were familiar with. And I wasn't impressed with it. I was kind of like, oh, it's very Toto. And it's not something I feel like I'll listen to. But then when I heard it in the context of the album as an opener, I actually ended up really liking it. And I do think it has significantly grown on me. But yeah, I wrote down, it's an immediate taste of my least favorite decade. But as a true soft rock fan, and I love, um, I think the melody is really catchy. So it's something that I'm kind of humming while I'm doing dishes or going about my day, which I think is fun. The verse melody is so catchy. Oh my God, yeah. You're gonna run me. (laughs) So So good. good. As soon as I saw that he released a single, I listened to it. And as soon as I heard that shuffle, that Toto shuffle. Toto! And those Toto stabs, I'm like, oh. Toto stabs? (laughs) Toto stabs. Nothing has ever sounded lamer. Um, As soon as I heard that, I'm like, oh, you're not going to like this because, yeah. be, because again, like you don't like Toto. I don't like Toto. But all of those bands that are basically Toto, Journey, Kansas, oh, yes. Foreigner. Foreigner. Massive blind spot that I never care to educate myself on because I just don't like it. Um, yeah, but you know what? Like I said, I really like this one. How about, how about you? I actually really liked it when I first heard it. Mm. Um, again, it's a taste of my least favorite decade, but I thought the melody was really good. The interesting thing about this song is that kind of has an anti-chorus where you when you first hear the beginning of the chorus you think it's a pre-chorus but then where the kind of the hook comes in is just the last line going on the last train going on the last train home that's the hook that's kind of something that john mayer has been doing lately it's almost like he's trying to perfect the anti-chorus because he's such i think an expert at a pop hook yeah that he's trying a different kind of subdued approach and i think that that is the big thing that separates this album and The Search for Everything. The Search for Everything has big pop choruses. Yeah. Sometimes they're falsetto. Sometimes they're just... Still feel like your man. Yeah. This one is more... You, you're like, wait, is this the chorus or is it still the, the pre-chorus? And I think this song is an example of that. I think that's something that he started to do on Love on the Weekend. It's a pop chorus, but it's just, it's in the same register as the verse. And that's kind of what makes you think, oh, there's right. the chorus is still coming. This isn't the chorus. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I think that's just something that he's been trying to perfect on this album. 
and I think we should probably talk about the search for everything because this album, Sawbrock, is really part two of yeah. John Mayer's Katy Perry journey. Oh God, I know it hurts me to listen to. So you want to explain the Katy Perry? Yes. Story? So John Mayer was in a relationship with Katy Perry, they American ha- singer. Yes, American singer Katy Perry, Teenage Dream. If you're unfamiliar, also mentioned last episode. Yes, and um, they were together for a while. I think they broke up, got back together. They put out a song together, uh, "Who You Love." And basically, they broke up. She went with Orlando Bloom. Now she has a baby with him. But my poor king, John Mayer, has been so hung up on Katie. And I truly think she was the love of his life. And it like kind of makes me sad. Um, they both have similar sense of humor. They do. And I actually think they were a really great match. And um, I actually watched their song together the other day. And I was like, oh, my heart for John. But all of Search for Everything was a, an ode to Katy Perry and his love for her and how heartbroken he was. And this is just basically, like you said, part two, the expansion pack. It's just a continuation, a continuum, if you will, any John Mayer fans listening. <laughs> yeah. And look, we'll get into that. Yeah. yeah I have more to say about that. where I think that this album really is a continuation and maybe not always in, in a good way. We'll get there with yeah. certain songs. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is really part two and he sounds more down than, the search for everything like yeah search it's like for the everything. sadness kicked in and it's settled the search for everything he still has that album is very eclectic there's many different styles and it's kind of like that denial anger acceptance you know that totally the stages of grief and this is kind of like the you know for lack of a better word the depression i agree part of that cycle whereas the, the search for everything was kind of this burst of energy the initial reaction oh my god like i'm racking my brain it's or, helpless i think cause that starts it and then it ends on You're Gonna Live Forever in Me. Which is oh. a beautiful song. I know, song I, I broke down more about that after. That he also ended his concerts with on that tour. So beautiful. It makes me cry when I listen to it. Um, but even the lyrics on Search for Everything, one of the, the most popular ones was, I still keep your shampoo in my shower in case you want to wash your hair. Meaning like, you know, there's still that, he's, he's referred to that as the saddest lyric he's ever written. Cause it's like, you're, you're clinging to that little bit of hope. Like, oh, I'll keep it just in case. Whereas this time around, we'll get into the songs later, but it's like, you know, I miss you in the worst way. Is the gate code still your birthday? It's like he's sitting there like simmering in his sadness. Yeah. Simmering in sadness is what the album should have been called. Yeah, it's like the subtitle. You have this song, right? You have Last Train Home, where at the end of the song, you have a a female singer. And it's kind of like you're hearing the situation from her perspective, which is an interesting trick to do because she's only there for like who, who's the singer again Morin morris marin morris marin morris uh she looks like chloe kardashian yeah and she's like she does look like chloe kardashian <laughs> i saw a picture and i guess she's a country singer yeah and she's only on the song for about like 20 seconds <laughs> yeah. during the fade out and it's kind of like okay yeah you get to hear the female perspective of this relationship but it's kind of annoying. Okay, I was just, you, you probably saw my face. I'm like trying to resist the urge to eye roll. It's annoying. I skip it every time I get to that part. I'm like, last train running. I'm like, shut up. Stop it. No. <laughs> it's just, it's, just, it's like, hey, Fuck oh, Yeah, yeah. A little I annoying. skip it. My sister, she's also obsessed with John Mayer. Every time we're listening to this album, she always, whoop, next song, right when that yeah. part comes on. Yeah. No, hey, I love me. I love me a beautiful female singer. Mm-hmm. but not at this part with this particular voice. It's a little annoying. <laughs> On this particular song. Yeah. 
and the song does end with a fade out. And that's actually a lot of the songs in the album. I was going to say, yeah, we got some Hey Jude's happening. Bringing back the fade out. I like, yeah, and there was that out. great, was it, who, who made that video? Was it Vox? I think oh, Vox, probably. they made that video about, you know, the psychological effect of a fade out. Yep. Where it just makes you think that this melody is going to go on and on and on forever. Because it does. But do you really want to hear that screeching go on I'm and on and on? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no on that. That was, I wrote, yeah, I'm like, but also John Mayer is like, He's posted about Morin Morris before. I think she did Marin. something. Marin. Marin Morris. Sorry. Marin. Marin. Morin. Marin. Morin. He sings her praises. And so many other people in the industry are like, the incredible Morin Morris. And they're all like, it was a true honor to have Morin Morris on my record. And I'm like, really though? Mm-hmm. And then she <laughs> steps up to the mic and says, thank you. It's Marin. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, that was my, uh, that's my take on, you know. Oh, and also Guitar World. I was reading a bunch of articles going through Sob Rock, and they referred to it as Yacht Rock Toto-esque. And I'm like, in theory, those are two things I just absolutely hate. But like I said, I like the song. So we should probably talk about Yacht Rock. Maybe define it for people that don't know. Yeah, so the album is called Sob Rock, and basically what the sound of the album is, is sad Yacht Rock. And Yacht Rock was a musical genre that was basically around from the mid 70s to the mid 80s yacht rock basically developed when all of those country hippies from like the late 60s and early 70s suddenly discovered that they could make more money on fm radio or sorry on am radio than (laughs) fm they basically said we can make more money with big hits rather than vietnam protest songs so you had artists like the doobie brothers the eagles crosby stills and nash uh no young no young he made it cool no kidding uh kenny loggins uh, or jackson brown another example all these artists that were part of that post woodstock early 70s music scene kind of the part of the counterculture and they were played frequently on underground radio and then they looked at their royalty checks and said you know what we could probably make a lot more money if we write a hit yacht rock is when their drugs wore off mm-hmm. it's the lamest continuation so of the hippie so what happened was movement. they started to make glossier music music that was more accessible for am radio but because all of these artists were basically from this like psychedelic country era like a post flying burritos era mm. they started to take a lot of those country elements and rein them in no pun intended <laughs> just like a horse and and the music kind of became more subdued and it became the music of, you know, drinking a, a margarita in Malibu. <laughs> and, you know, you had the Eagles who transitioned out of their more early country and they moved more into kind of slick production with like Hotel California. The best way to hear the arrival of Yacht Rock is to listen to the Eagles because you'll hear when it arrives when Don Henley starts to take over lead vocals rather than Glenn Fry. So that's on the artistic side of the creation of Yacht Rock. But then there's the consumer side where you basically had the entire Woodstock youth generation. They started to actually get jobs and make money. (laughs) And they still followed artists like Crosby, Stills and Nash. And they became wealthy and the hippies became yuppies. So Yacht Rock kind of became synonymous with affluent Wall Street music for people that have summer homes in Miami and, you know, want to enjoy a drink on a yacht. So it kind of became dad-ish. Yeah, it often, yacht rock music often gets classified as dad rock. Dad rock, yeah. That big umbrella term. 
Okay, well, now that we've contextualized Yacht Rock, which is super important because it does come back throughout the album, why don't we go into the next song, Shouldn't Matter, But It Does. Now the road keeps rolling on forever And the years keep pulling us apart I know it's over, I'm just saying this because It shouldn't matter Shouldn't matter, but it does. But it does. I love this one. It's a beautiful song. This one's so good. It's kind of Search for Everything era, too. Mm-hmm. Harping on that idea of it being a continuation between the two albums. Well, I mean, it is about Katy Perry. I know. I wrote down, my poor bean is so hurt by Katy still. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's that. There's some great lyrics in this song, but there's that important lyric that really connects it to the search for everything where he says you know i shouldn't keep leaving you messages in every song and then there's two lyrics that like stab me in the heart every time which ones we could have been naming baby number three okay yeah no wait also side note the first time i heard this i thought he's saying we could have been busy making baby number three (laughs) i was like oh and now i always sing that by accident okay now what's the second one that stabs you in the heart well i was just gonna say that line kind of reminds me of the end of la la land where there i know I know. Your shoulders got suddenly wet. Yeah. So (laughs) when we were watching La La Land, for those of you who haven't seen it, the last scene, spoiler alert, but honestly, you've had years to catch up. Yeah. I don't feel bad for you at this point. Uh, The last scene, Ryan Gosling's character sees Emma Stone's character and they kind of have this flash forward where they're imagining like a parallel universe what could have been what could have been had they stayed together and they have this baby with them and we were watching it and all of a sudden i just feel (laughs) my entire shoulder become drenched in tears and i look over and you're sniffling away and it was the cutest thing ever no i was sobbing i was not sob rocking i was just sobbing (laughs) but yes it does it definitely brings that effect but that's why it's called Sob Rock. You know, if it was called Party Rock, it'd just be LMFAO. It'd be LMFAO. Another great one. And then the other lyric is the road keeps rolling on forever and the years keep pulling us apart, which is, oh. I know. It's like they never. What could have been, you know? Yeah. So sad. I think as soon as you have lyrics like that and then you have that, like John Mayer's like beautiful voice, it's like dripping honey. Like it's that kind oh, of yeah. low. It's a croon, mm-hmm. but it's it's him like it doesn't sound like anyone else like totally. john mayer sounds like john mayer and when he's singing those lyrics in that register it's just that's oh. probably i can't even listen to you're you're gonna live forever in me despite it being one of my favorite songs by him and when the pastor asks the pews for reasons he can't marry you i'll keep my word and my seed but you're gonna live forever Just wait and see. But yeah, I kind of, I don't know. It just has that really nice feel to it. I think also we were listening to it. I'm like, wait, there's no drums in this. And there's just that I love the shaker at the end. I think that fills it out really nicely. Mm-hmm. You said there's a little, a rim hit in terms yeah. of what drives it. But that's an 80s or late 70s, early 80s trick, right? Mm. Where you just put reverb on everything and uh, it just makes everything sound full, right? And this song has really slick yacht rock production where it's very analog and crisp and polished and you know we were talking about how yacht rock really emerged in the post woodstock era with all of those hippie country artists suddenly making more money they embraced the country music that they were playing but they depoliticized it to make money and they were sellouts (laughs) yeah basically yacht rock is sellout music 
and this is a country song, but it doesn't sound like country. It sounds like John Mayer doing country. It's like there's a John Mayer filter on country. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like Garth Brooks. It sounds like a nice Loggins and Messina adult contemporary country ballad that would have emerged in like the Yacht Rock era mm-hmm. where this is a slow dance number. And my favorite thing is, I don't know if you caught the little, the sonic nod that, that he does, where he puts the I'm not in love wall of harmonies. I wrote that down. I wrote 10 cc esque. I'm happy you caught that. The song I'm not in love, the protagonist is basically trying to convince himself that he's not in love with a character, but he is. That's the whole twist of the song. He's basically saying, I still have your picture on the wall, but it's only to hide a stain. It's not because I want to see you. Obviously, he does want to (laughs) see her, right? And that's basically every lyric on this album. It's him saying the passcode is still your birthday. birthday. Kind of looking at the remnants of this relationship. And that's what I'm not in love is about. Yeah, it's like a skeleton. Yeah, so he makes a little nod to that song. Why don't we play a little clip right here? Because some people, this song is referenced quite a bit in popular music. Oh, it's so good. I, I I wrote that down. I love that. But yeah, I think it's a nice contrast from the opener of Last Train Home because it kind of, you know, that's like more of an upbeat one that you might sing along to. This one kind of, it brings you down a little bit, which mm-hmm. is nice. But the song also has a lot in common with Last Train Home because they're both examples of the anti-chorus, right? The, the chorus of this song, you know, and the road keeps turning us apart, that's not a huge chorus. It almost sounds at first like a pre-chorus section, like you're anticipating that the chorus is going to come. But then the hook of the song, uh, he basically puts a nice bow on it with the last two lines. And that's what tells you that it's the chorus. So he's trying to kind of be more subdued. And that's that's a Yacht Rock trick. I love you that. Know? Because you're trying to be more relaxed. This is a very relaxing album. You're not trying to amp people up with a big hooky chorus. You're just trying to have more of a uh, an unassuming chorus. I love that term you use, unassuming. And I think also in this case, like that structure really reflects the thematic content of it. Because a song saying, oh, you know, all this stuff, it shouldn't matter, but it does. Like that's kind of like something you would say as like almost like the last two lines of of an argument or of of you lamenting over something so it's just i i don't think it would have made sense to have a big catchy chorus with like that kind of uh narrative or that mentality of yeah eh, it shouldn't matter but it does but also those lyrics like in the chorus he's saying the road keeps rolling on forever and the years keep pulling us apart and then he stops himself it's almost like he's stopping his thought shouldn't matter but it does yeah like and that's what ends the chorus and it's a nice little turnaround and you're like that's a good hook, and mm. it's a very subtle Clever. hook. Overall, the album is defined by these anti-choruses, and that's what really separates this album from The Search for Everything. I think, like, I'm just going to say it. Overall, I think I prefer The Search for Everything, but also they're completely different right. albums. Mm-hmm. This album is trying to be a Yacht Rock album, very relaxed. 
it's not trying to do the exact same thing that the search for everything is trying to do, you know, and, and you kind of have to make that distinction that, yeah, he's talking about the same relationship, but this really is another part of the story. It's not trying to compete with the first chapter. And also search for everything, the production style on something like still feel like your man. He were, he described it as like very staccato, like Japanese R and B. That was very forward thinking in a sense that when he's fresh out of a breakup, he's going to try and be forward thinking and, you know, have the, like you said, the initial reaction and then move forward. Whereas this one is quite literally hearkening back to the past, mm -hmm. taking things from past eras. And he's also reflecting on maybe the good times and, and the past of his relationship. It's interesting that the first two albums that we're reviewing are both very nostalgic albums. They are. Right? Because Olivia Rodrigo's Sour is looking at like 2000s music. And maybe that's kind of colored by like a, a pre-COVID nostalgia. Right. Mm -hmm. This is also a COVID album. Maybe that was kind of baked in where he's like, I'm in a pandemic, I'm alone, I'm over 40 years old, I should have been with someone. Like, you know, people say, if it's the end of the world, I want to be with someone. And I think that that's kind of also what fueled the nostalgia. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, I think that's, I think I've said uh, what I've got to say about this one. Why don't we jump on into, and I got a lot of notes on the next one, New Light. A crispy banger this one's so good i mean does, is there anyone on planet earth that doesn't like new light you're a monster if you don't this, i actually think you're clinically insane this is a fantastic song and i mean we've known this for a couple of years this song has yeah. been around for 2018 so i mean i mean right out of the gate i'll just say that i don't think this should be on the album i was gonna say what you, what you're gonna i wrote down what you will criticize about the placement i consider a strength well, there's, okay, so there's that Beach Boys album, Smiley Smile, right? And it was an album where mm -hmm. there's no drums, it's just organ and vocals. But then the big single from it was a single that came out a year before. It was Good Vibrations, which was a grandiose production. And it sticks out like a sore thumb. It shouldn't be on that album. The thing is, I think New Light might be overall the best song on the album. And I don't know if that's a good thing. Yeah, it's another Katy Perry song. But the, the thing is that the song doesn't sound analog like the others. It doesn't sound 80s like the others, in my opinion. It definitely has 80s elements, but it's not pure 80s like the other ones are trying to be. Like, the other ones are trying to be more of an homage than this is. Yep. And the big thing for me is that I just associate this song so much with the search for everything because right. it came out like a year later while people were still digesting that album. And maybe this song is supposed to be kind of the link between... The kind of the stopgap between the search for everything that, yeah. and sob rock that argument could be made but i just think this song doesn't fit the mood of the album this okay. is a this is a a top 40 barn burner of a song <laughs> i love that use that today <laughs> and this song would tear up the dance floor it has a very demarcated chorus whereas the other ones are more like anti-choruses mm -hmm. and i just think that if you're creating an album that's supposed to be enjoyed on a yacht off the coast of miami this isn't really that. This is more of a a pop banger that you'd hear at like a wedding. In mm. a good way. I mean, obviously okay. wedding music is considered a bad thing, yeah. but this is like a good 
thing. So I would say the reason why I consider this to be a strength is this one came out in 2018 and then one that appears later on the record, I guess I just feel like came out in 2019. Mm -hmm. It's kind of doing what is something that you actually praised him for with the search for everything was releasing things in waves where you would get a bundle of, I think it was three or four songs at a time because then he pretty much mastered this idea of modifying playlist culture or the idea of that people cherry pick when they go on Spotify and they only want to listen to the hits or they only listen to what they're familiar with. Whereas if things are released in a wave or if they're released over time and then put on the album, you already know them. So you're naturally familiarizing yourself with more of the album, meaning you're going to listen to the full album. Right. But the problem with that is that the rest of Sob Rock wasn't even a thought yet. I don't even think Sob Rock was recorded yet. Mm -hmm. And just in terms of branding, right. the music video, his style in the music video is completely different than, say, the music video of Shot in the Dark. Yeah. But is that tainting? Is that coloring your perception? No, because no? I, I think if I heard this song without, you know, knowing that it came out, what, three years ago? Mm -hmm. Forget that. I think that I would just say that this song is a banger, yes, but it doesn't fit what the album is trying to accomplish the same universe type thing it doesn't fit like you know people talk about the brief like what's the mission statement of the album this doesn't fit it okay i think the most important line on the album is in this song which is pushing 40 in the friend zone oh yeah i love that and one it's an important line for two reasons one good and one bad the first one being the good it's kind of the thesis of the album where it's a guy that's aging he's not old but he's mm -hmm. aging but the problem with that line is that pushing 40 in the friend zone he's 43 now he's not pushing 40 anymore he's in <laughs> he's his 40s. The 40s like he's way beyond where he was at the time of this song and i think that that just kind of points to one of the issues with the album which is that this album kind of feels like an ep with three previously released singles okay, rather than a, a, like a new album and that line is just a glaring plot hole for me because it just points to it's anachronistic he's not pushing 40 anymore he's in his 40s and mm -hmm. yeah i know that from looking it up most people probably wouldn't mm -hmm. but but do you feel like when you hear this on the album that it removes you from the the linear story if you want to call it that if he started the album with new light i think you can say like previously on mm -hmm. like it would, it would accomplish yeah. that function but i think just slotting it as track three it kind of comes across as damn, these are a lot of sad songs. We need an upbeat one. Right. What, what have we got? Oh, you have the song from a couple of years ago that you never put on an album. Why don't you do, why don't you put it on? It's like, well, that came out three years ago. Yeah, put it on anyway. It'll be great. You Sony know. Music's got like a gun to his head. Yeah, and, and I just think that the song kind of sticks out in an unflattering way, not because it's a bad song, just because it's kind of anachronistic lyrically. And it also doesn't match production wise this is a very digital sounding song yes whereas the other songs are very analog and yeah. retro right no i think that um that makes sense but there, he, john put john once again first name basis he put out a really cool igtv video i think in 2018 or 19 where he went through the production of this song it's like eight minutes long it's on youtube you should watch it if you haven't it's really interesting but he kind of goes through some of the the 80s nods and, and some of the 80s gear. Like they used a Lindrum, which is a drum machine uh, between that was manufactured between 82 and 85. And that was used on various like Prince and Michael Jackson records. And then he actually played the guitar solo on Prince's guitar that was in the studio that day. So there, there's more the 80s nods are less direct. They're it's a little like bit 1989 more, where he's yeah. using 80s instruments, but 
producing it in a very contemporary way. Yeah. Uh, whereas the other songs, he's using 80s instruments, but making sure that the outcome sounds like an 80s It's recording. more literal. It's on the nose more. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this one has, once again, that, um, like how, how he would call it, the staccato Japanese R&B type flavor to it, which I think is really interesting and I love it. It's a very shimmery song. It's a, it has an infectious groove to it. And I think the four on the floor really helps contribute to that because it gives it like, it drives it forward with like this dancey yeah. rhythm. Sounds like Chris France playing drums. Yeah, from Talking heads so good and no id produced it who's apparently kind of does stuff like this all the time just a fun little tidbit to throw in the bridge on here one that he played prince's guitar on kind of reminds me of kiss which is i'm not a prince fan but i, I do like that song And this one's also the one that has the chorus effect when he takes a sample of his own voice and almost makes a synth out of it. And speaking of synth, the cool thing is that in the fade out, he has a, he introduces a completely new synth melody. Dun, 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 dun. It's very subtle right during the fade out. And it's like, oh, this guy, he's just pulling melodies out of his pocket. And that's really <laughs> impressive. But yeah, I love this song. I just, I don't think it works on this album. This album is very pastiche-y. Right. Pastiche-y. pastiche Whereas New Light is very modern sounding. Yeah. In my opinion. I hear what you're saying with that, but I personally like it on the album. You know what though? It is kind of true what you mentioned because when I listened to it the first time, I skipped New Light because I was like, oh, I know that one already. Well, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Listening to it the second time around and, and since that point... I've always included it because it, it's it still gives a nice picture, I think, of the album, personally. Yeah. I mean, like, the other thing is that if you're a John Mayer fan and you're waiting years for an album and then you get it and then there are three songs included that you heard over the preceding years, <laughs> it's it feels a little rip-off-y. Write another banger. He's got so many bangers that totally. he could just write. Put like another song in that spot. Otherwise, it, it just kind of feels like you didn't have enough songs. Basically, that's what I'm trying to say. I respect your take. Yeah. Let's go on to the next one, which is my favorite, I think, on the album. Why You No Love Me. Bianca. Yeah. I have a question. What's up? Why you no love me? <laughs> Impossible. Impossible. So what do you think of this song? I love this song. This is my favorite. It's one of my favorite John Mayer songs. Every time John Mayer puts out an album, there's always one song that really like digs into your soul and it just speaks to you on another level that you're mm -hmm. like, oh, this it's a gut punch. Yep. This is that song. This oh, is yeah. the you're gonna live forever in me emoji of a wave. This is that type of song and like what a beautiful song. And the great thing about this song is that it's really got kind of a spooky vibe to it. Yeah, there's those... a, a weird something yeah. happening. It's spooky, but it's beautiful. And, that, and that's the interesting thing about this song. And yeah, I really love this one. Can we talk about what definitely is both our favorite part of this song? 
The slide than, guitar? The sli- well, there's three things. The slide guitar, that juicy major to minor chorus. Yeah. And oh. then the chord change with the lyric. Changes like the weather. Changes or like the weather yeah. when it changes the chord. Oh, it's so good. It's so well placed. Then you turn as cold as the weather and left me that's what I said. He's a master of melody, master of chord movements. Just every move is the right move. Mm-hmm. If New Light is my favorite song on the entire album, this is my favorite of the new songs. Gotcha. This song is absolutely one of my favorite John Mayer songs. This is a, a song I'll keep revisiting regularly. Like mm-hmm. It's just such a beautiful song. Complex chords, a beautiful melody, great slide guitar work. Oh, I love that it. It really kind of makes... The song. Gives it like an emotional touch. It's the sound of like a yearning soul that's like very frustrated, but very sad, you yep. know? And I mean, the big thing that I love about it is that this is a George Harrison song. If you listen to like his self-titled album, songs like Here Comes the Moon, like he heard that album and wrote this song. I'm willing to bet money on it. I'm willing to ask him if he ever does like a Reddit AMA. <laughs> Which he might. I, I'm going to ask him that. Because I also went on Reddit after, and a lot of people mentioned the George Harrison connection, because a lot of the songs on that George Harrison album have those guitar arpeggios that this song has. has like the electric piano the slide guitar the nylon guitar there's little bells that are very subtle that's a very yacht rock thing using bells or Mm. triangles to kind of accentuate certain sections of the song and just overall the production is exactly like that george harrison album and i'm actually surprised that someone would revisit that album and try to write a song in that vein because it wasn't a very successful album but it's arguably George Harrison's best album most people say all things must pass but George Harrison's self-titled album is a masterpiece and if you love this song you'll love that album that um people on tiktok gross brackets are making fun of this song i was gonna say that on youtube i've seen a lot of people trash this song even just stupid reviewers for places like pitchfork or whoever have no idea what they're talking about they're they're so hung up on this idea of it of why it's phrased as why you know love me rather than why don't you love me and you know what i got something to say about that saying why don't you love me 
that sounds more depressing. Whereas John Mayer's sense of humor that we can see in lyrics like pushing 40 in the friend zone or in titles like emoji of a wave. It's very internet friendly. It is almost like memified, if you will. He plays into that quite a bit. So I I found it to be perfectly fitting that I didn't even question it when I heard it. And also the song is so good. The chords are so complex. Everything's so amazing that do you truly care Mm -hmm. about why it's called? Also, I would be kind of creeped out if I'm listening to a song. It's like, why don't you love me? And to me, it just sounds like people are just really focusing on that rather than how great the song is. Yeah, like the the song title really captures John Mayer's sense of humor. Yeah, it's totally because, a brand. Because he'll pour his heart out, but then kind of nudge you and kind of give a wink wink and say like, nah, I know this sounds desperate. I know mm-hmm. this sounds really sad, but you know, it's just me. Like that's his whole personality. Best exemplified on writing the most beautiful song ever and then calling it Emoji of a Wave. That's his sense of humor. You yeah. know, he's willing to point out how desperate he sounds. And when you when it's yeah. tongue in cheek and you make fun of it, it makes it more tolerable and it makes it funny. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I prefer that rather than someone who takes themselves so seriously. Mm-hmm. Why don't you love me? Why yeah. you don't love me? It's baby talk. But that's yeah. also, you know, if you don't like that title, then don't listen to most songs that have emerged since the 1950s. Yeah, it's it's everywhere. That, that one chord change we already mentioned, the the cold is the weather. That's something you would write. <laughs> you oh, would do that. that that's such, a, be- that's such that. a nice trick, you know, like <laughs> the contour of the melody is matching what the lyrics oh, are yeah, saying. Oh, yeah, it's mirroring know? the thematic content. Yeah. It's so good. And that chord also kind of, um, I think it's an F sharp minor seven from my research. It reflects uncertainty. You know, you change as cold as the weather and it just, it, it gives a nice sense of tension to mm. it, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. And also, can we talk about that Jonas Brothers-esque ending? <laughs> Yeah. It does have a nice little taste of uh, of my Jersey boys, mm-hmm. Joe Bros. Also, the ending has nice wind chimes if you listen at the end. And that's another George Harrison self-titled album thing. There are also congas in the background of the choruses. And that's that's another George Harrison thing. I'm telling you, I'm really... This whole It'll come segment, out. It will happen. This whole segment is basically me trying to convince you, constant listener, to, <laughs> um, to listen to the George Harrison album. Because if you like this song then you're going to love that album because it's an album of those songs. Because you mentioned it sounds like Here Comes the Moon. Which which other one did you compare it to again? There was another one I it also Well, it also sounds like Learning How to Love You, which is from the album before his self-titled one, which is 33 and a Third from 1976. And mm. that song also has the exact same production. No two.
those are songs that came out in 1976 and 1979. So right during the time frame that John Mayer is trying to hearken back to. So it works. And it's a subtle plucking of influence where sometimes when you take something like Prince, where it's like you have that big Prince clap in New Lay, where it's like, cha. Mm-hmm. You have things like that, or you have the guitar tone sounding like Michael Jackson or Prince. Like this is maybe a more subtle plucking of the influence, if you mm-hmm. will, which I think is pretty cool. But it's also plucking an influence that wasn't really successful commercially. Which is interesting because on the cover of Saw Rock, there's um, a nice price sticker on it. And that was a, a series launched by CBS Records in 1981 that featured an assortment of like back catalog albums in the States, essentially re-releasing bestsellers at a lower price. So it's kind of like bargain basement records. So it's right. kind of funny that he might reference back to maybe not the most commercially successful records mm-hmm. and then making them his own. It's very on brand with the the cover art, the overall aesthetic of yeah, Sabrock. Yeah, that's great. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, also, great album cover. I the, love it. It's so good. The album cover is very... John Cougar Mellencamp, and also very Miami Vice. Which is something I absolutely loathe with everything in me (laughs) in terms of aesthetics. But there's something charming about it, and I think it's funny. And it's kind of like, you know, when we go to Aurelia, we go go record shopping in this one warehouse where you get to go to the front, and then you ask the owner for the key. It's kind of like a a trench coat thing, and like, you know, in like recess, when he's like the trench coat with all the stuff. Mm -hmm. He, He asks him for the key, and if he knows you know, he gives you it. And then he takes you down to this abandoned Zeller's. And then you get to go through crates and crates of records in an abandoned warehouse by yourself, mm-hmm. unattended, for as long as you want. Sounds like a nightmare. It does. But to us, it's a dream. Anyway, so this cover art kind of looks like something that we would maybe find and be like, haha, this is funny. Let's yeah. get it. Yeah. Um, and also, it's funny because there is like the, he put the Apple Music logo or the Apple logo on it. So there, there are contemporary. Spotify one is on Spotify. Yeah, like there's yeah. contemporary elements to it where he is using something literal like the nice price sticker but mixed with like you know a streaming service Mm -hmm. on it which is interesting going back to the song title just quickly i saw a couple people kind of accusing the song of being racist because they said it's immigrant talk i'll admit the first time i heard the song and i heard why you no love me i thought oh that sounds like shut up your face (laughs) Like it sounds, Italian nonna. yeah. Like I'm Italian, so I can say that. It, it sounds like an Italian nonna, and like a couple people said that it, it does sound like broken English, but I don't think so. I think it's just. I think it's internet speak, and at the end of the day, it's an amazing song. So, <laughs> yeah. how about that? Yeah, don't listen to any song that says the word "ain't." Totally. Yeah, I don't know. Irregardless, and anyway. <laughs> um, well played. Well, okay. Let's go on to the next one. Say a groovy one. Wild blue. So, wild blue. Wild Blue. I love this one. This one's so good. Yeah, I think this one captures the 80s spirit the most successfully. The Yacht Rock? The Yacht Rock spirit. To me, I I hear you on that. I think this one reminds me the most of songs such as Vultures or I Don't Trust Myself With Loving You, Belief. This is a very continuum sounding song to me because it's very sexy. 
there's a really there's like a nice kind of like it's very sexy like you're like maybe like cooking with a glass of wine and it's like you put a song like this on or i would personally that's interesting because i got a completely different picture but also mm-hmm. you have a more extensive knowledge of john mayer's right. catalog mm-hmm. than i do for me, this song is I'm sipping a margarita on a yacht really? at, at sunset oh off God. the coast of That's Miami. so funny. At like a yacht party. Oh, no. This is like, to me, this brings like mad city vibes. Oh, really? This is like main character in a 2000s movie in New York. It reminds me of Home Life off of Heavier Things as well. Another John Mayer record, I think in like 2003. But it has that nice kind of like city-esque sexy groove to it to wow. me in my opinion yeah i don't get that at all really at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's the vibe it brings me the thing i like about this song is that i think this song is probably the song that was most influenced by his time with dead and company this also sounds like the grateful dead especially their 80s material like i could imagine myself at red rocks amphitheater in colorado seeing the grateful dead play this and everyone's just vibing out and it sounds like something like Jerry Garcia could mm. sing. Obviously, much better than anything that the <laughs> Grateful Dead ever wrote. Agreed. So I think there's also that element that overall, this is, for me, a very early 80s, maybe late 70s, early 80s yacht song. See, this doesn't sound 80s at all to me. Like, I don't really? get an inkling oh, of 80s from I this. Hear it. Like, I hear at all. I can't, like... The congas, the, the guitar tone. It's very like a jam band doing an 80s song. Maybe. And it kind of reminds me of, I don't know much about Grateful Dead. We're not deadheads. Sorry. Um, But it kind of reminds me of the one song I do really like by them. I think it's called Althea. It has a very similar type groove to it where I can see the the sonic similarities in terms of, you know, like a 70s or 80s song in that sense. But for the most part, this really gives me like either contemporary or like 2000s vibes. Interesting. Maybe because it reminds me of Continuum maybe, so much and that's maybe. a 2000s record. Yeah, because I wanted to say that so far, this is probably the biggest divergence <laughs> in our views on a song yeah. over our two episodes. I thought you say over our relationship. I'm like, and over our relationship. <laughs> a long time. I'm leaving. <laughs> Bye. Good luck with the rest of your life. Um, uh, the, the other thing I, I wanted to say about this is that the counter melody, the guitar counter melody in the chorus is the hook. Right. Because the hook is another anti-chorus where, where mm-hmm. it's just wow, blue. same register as the verse. But the hook of the song is it's the guitar part, which is really cool. Yeah, it's very it's very layered. I love the mix. I love the production on this one. Great vocal production. Mm. It's kind of I can't tell if it's double tracked or if there's just slap back. I think it might be double tracked or or maybe there's like a drier take mixed with a wetter take. Yeah. Wetter meaning reverberated. (laughs) Right. But overall, you get this very it's almost like an indie rock vocal production, which threw me off at first. I'm like, oh, I, I haven't really heard him with this vocal production before right. it's really cool it gives it a bit of an edginess like overall this song is like subdued edginess but that's what it, that's what brings like the sexiness i think to it oh it's again it's a really sexy song but yeah i think this is a yacht party i don't later i'll show you more some more continuum jams and i think you'll see where i'm picturing it fitting in well this episode is to be continuum yeah <laughs> anyway though there's i i truly do not have a single bit of criticism or any bad thing or anything i don't like about this song it's a vibey song it's, vi- it's that's what it is it's pure vibes and actually when we saw john the first john the first time i remember you mentioning you were just like so taken aback by like the vibe you just loved the vibe of it you loved the carpet you loved yeah i mean seeing john mayer was it was one of the only shows that i really just kind of kind of just closed my eyes and, and soaked in the vibe that he was creating because i think that's the way he wants you to enjoy 
his shows. Like you're at, he was a very expensive album listening. Your eyes shut at the concert. Exactly. <laughs> I, I could have stayed at home. I mean, especially when he's doing a guitar solo. I'm not a huge guitar solo fan. I mean, you're a guitarist. I'm not someone that likes overindulgent, explosive That's solos. That's what I mean. Like, like, of course, I love guitar yeah, solos. We, we both I mean, like when it serves a song. Yeah, I mean extended guitar solos. Totally. So yeah. when you're at a concert and he's doing extended guitar solos, I appreciated it because he's trying to weave this feeling for yep. you and just enjoy it and it's not a show where i'm going to be looking at his fingers <laughs> with binoculars saying okay he's on uh, fret 11 and, <laughs> no, some I, people do though. yeah i know but i'm <laughs> i was just enjoying it and this is another one of those songs where when we see him live i'm just going to be vibing out i agree mad vibes on this one so mission accomplished john yeah i don't really have much more to say on this one though why don't we go to shot in the dark let's do it we're searching for the night together where we don't fall apart I love this one. This one grew on me a lot too. Should go to the doctor. <laughs> Should get that checked out. Stupid jokes. There's a lot of um, like neo noir kind of a. Uh... Oh, speaking of neo noir, a uh, cop car driving by. The city um, was dark. Yeah. <laughs> There's like rain on the pavement, kind of like some warriors esque visuals happening. Uh, another niche reference. He's once again wearing that 80s influence very much on his sleeve. And he's wearing a leather jacket in yeah. my visual. Well, there's a music video, right? And right? he's wearing yeah. a leather jacket, I mm-hmm. think, right? So there you go. I really like this one, though. I didn't like it as much the first time I heard it. It was kind of like a Last Train Home type thing. But this one I like a lot more than Last Train Home. Yeah, this song was definitely a grower, not a shower. Yeah. And... <laughs> At first, it sounded very dentist waiting room. Oh, God. Especially that intro, which also to me sounds like an 80s corporate video for an insurance company that you'd see on like a like a staticky TV in a waiting room. Give me an example. Where you can definitely hear someone saying something like, here at Sun Life Insurance, we have the portfolios needed to keep your family safe and satisfied. Like, I can definitely hear... I feel like if you told John Mayer that, I feel like he would love it. Oh, he'd... He'd, <laughs> he'd be all over that. He'd be all over that. And Dave Chappelle probably told him that. <laughs> I, I could totally see that at the, the listening party. This also kind of gives me, if I were someone... This would be one of my dream jobs, to, like, pick the music for a movie or a TV show. Mm. And I think this would be a great scene for it's, like, the main characters have, like, all this building sexual tension... And it's like they're about to kiss, but then they kind of shy away from it. Like that's what this, the tones of the song and the chord movements and the melody, all of those variables to me, paint that picture to me. Well, I was going to say something very similar. Mm -hmm. This is like ending of an 80s movie. They finally kiss and they walk off into like the sunset. Yeah, it's like basically like the buildup. So hear me out actually. Wild Blue is the growing sexual tension where Shot in the Dark is kind of like the the it's about to happen or it just does you're taking a shot in the dark you're taking a risk and maybe it actually was the happy ending that he wanted well that's why right? it kind of has that that sexiness to it because it it's like you know will they won't they that's what it is the, the song really paints that will they won't they picture i can definitely hear brian adams doing it or totally. like 80 springsteen yeah i could hear that another woman like I, like yep in that, that voice. was a good springsteen yeah. impression <laughs> <laughs> uh, um 
and I really like when the drums kick in at the end. Here we go. Now, it's another shot. And that's a great little thing because it just brings the it energy up. And then, it, yeah. and then congas come in and, and those synth strings. Yeah, it's a great ending. And to me, that's just they finally kiss. They look at each other yeah. and silently walk off into the sunset as the credits start. Yeah. And that momentum is like a very optimistic ending. And also, I really like the uh, the U2 piano, like the 80s piano, where it's very reverberated. You liking a U2 element. It's like such a distinctive... 80s trope that reverberated piano it's also in like songs by the cure mm, but i love the cure i always loved piano with reverb on it mm-hmm. yeah yeah it gives it a nice sense of space because sometimes i find keys if people do it either direct input keys or something like that it just sounds it sticks out like a sore thumb to mm-hmm. me like you know me i'm always like i'll be listening to a song and make i like it better without the keys mm-hmm. <laughs> that's always for some reason something that that strikes me but in this song and on this album in general i find he uses keys very effectively to to underscore the melody or just kind of add like a nice little dash rather than something overpowering, which I think is nice. That's also kind of what the album is trying to accomplish as a whole. It's trying to be tasteful. Right. It's a very, he'll take an 80s element like a reverberated piano, but be very tasteful with it. And I think that's just something overall that you can commend John Mayer. And I think the producer who was Don was. Um, was not anymore. Don was not anymore. <laughs> it's like who's on first? Uh, they they both did a great job of being very very tasteful with the elements that they're using. Yeah, despite like we said, they're very literal, but they are very tasteful. I thought. Yeah, it's it's very confusing. A very fine line. Taylor Swift was the same. Yeah, the song's very nighttimey too, which I like. It also contributes to the the, the mm-hmm. taste of it being a sexier song or maybe like building up. This is nighttime. But the sun is finally rising for me. Yes. Yeah. You know what? That's so true. I keep picturing the Warriors for some reason. The last scene of the Warriors when they're on the beach. Yeah. And they walk off into the sunset after uh, a whole yeah. movie that takes place in the night. You know what? Yeah, it's true. Right? Yep. Like a nice like dewy sunrise. It's kind of like that. Let's walk hard. <laughs> dewy sunrise. Anyway, let's go on to Guess I Just Feel Like. I guess I just feel like. I'm the same way too I guess I just feel like That our light just burnt out Our light just burnt out, yeah (laughs) That's what I feel like Now we're in some very We are in a new light, if you will uh Oh Oh. Also, speaking of new light I just want to say it's very interesting that you have a song like New Light on the album, but then you also have a country song like this. And I think that just shows John Mayer can do any genre and make it still sound like him, which yep. I think is really cool. Which is, um, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I wrote down that this track in particular is very reminiscent of Born and Raised, mm-hmm. which I believe was the album he came out with after he kind of stepped away from the media following his controversial remarks. And he went, you know, he peeled back a little bit and then he put out... Um, born and raised but it does have that similar type feel to it which is really nice yeah how do you feel about this song overall i actually really like this one no what's funny is it came out in 2019 it's kind of like Mm -hmm. the same thing as new light where it came out ahead of time 
but I never really listened to it surprisingly. Mm -hmm. Or if I did, it didn't resonate with me. Whereas now when I hear it within the context of sob rock, I actually really like this one. And I do listen to it, not as much as other ones like Why You Know Love Me and Wild Blue. But when it comes on, I'm like, ah, I like this mm-hmm. one. Yeah, it's it's probably my least favorite on the album. Okay. Um, but that's not because it's a bad song. It's just that it's trying to do something. It's more of a lyric-based song, I think. Mm-hmm. It's an important song. Maybe that's why it works in the context of Sob Rock so well. Where he's really talking about, like, there's that, those great lyrics. I guess I just feel like the joke's getting old, the future is fading, and the past is on hold. Which is really prescient for covid era but mm-hmm. but it's especially like it's interesting because it predates covid when he wrote that but um i just think it's a very important song lyrically and it's it may be the like the end of act one for the album oh, okay there's that very important lyric where, where he says i guess i just felt like giving up today where it's like okay Oof. i think he's it's a song about losing hope but wanting to hang on right yeah, that theme makes sense because yeah. um, he wrote this song, he said, within like, I think within an hour. He posted about it on Instagram and he used just um, a tape machine, two inexpensive microphones, and then one of his Martin guitars. He just, right there, done. Mm-hmm. So it's probably something he was, you know, truly feeling in that moment of, you know, being like, like, you know, when you're upset, you're like, oh, no, I, should, I guess I just kind of feel like, <laughs> you're like, eh, whatever. Yeah. He does a great job of encapsulating that emotion. But I agree with you. It's not by any means like a standout track on the record. What I'm trying to say is it's interesting because it's not a standout song in terms of melody, but it's a standout song in terms of lyrics. And I think that's just kind of him trying to flex that other part of his brain. We both know that John Mayer is a, is a man who uses a typewriter to write lyrics. We do. You, you too, a typewriter California typewriter. Man. Great documentary. <laughs> and... I think this is just him sitting down at a typewriter and almost like writing a diary entry. Right. It is very diary, diaristic. Is that the term? Diaristic. <laughs> diaristic. Uh, sounds a little sounds like, like Pepto-Bismol. Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think it's an important song lyrically, but melodically doesn't grab me. Right. I feel you on that because it yeah. didn't grab me at first for the years that it was out before I even gave it really a proper chance. Yeah. But yeah, this one I didn't really have as much... To, like this one it once again it's not a standout in my opinion so it's, it's not something that struck me to like write a bunch of notes on or really listen to multiple times it's just that in the times that i have listened to it it has considerably grown on me not a standout track but definitely a thematic anchor yes that's yeah. a great way of putting it thematic anchor yeah okay well with that said why don't we go into the next one till the right one comes some people around here Till the right one comes. But actually, this was the wrong one because we have to talk about two other things that we forgot to mention. Yes. Yeah. So I had a question for Shot in the Dark. Mm-hmm. He says, I've loved seven other women and they all were you. Now, does that mean that he dated seven women that reminded him of Katy Perry? That's how I heard that. Or does it mean that he dated Katy Perry and she had seven personalities and maybe that was part of the conflict? Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I actually don't know on that one. I would guess that as being like literally seven other women Mm. um maybe he's like doing that thing where he's like looking for elements of her and other women but it's just not adding up hence why he's here narratively interesting 
Yeah. It's very interesting. And the guitar solo we didn't talk about. Yes, the guitar solo in I Guess I Just Feel Like that... It's nasty. ...gritty, fuzzed-out guitar solo at the end. Beautiful tone. I don't know how we forgot to mention that. Yeah, that was my favorite part of that song. Yeah. So good. I agree. Oh. My favorite part of that song as well. Anyway, let's go on to Till the Right One Comes. The Right One has come, and we should talk about it. Yes. Okay, so... We're taking a different 80s nod here. I already know what comparison you're going to make, but Mm -hmm. have at it. (laughs) Yeah, so this song is a... Musically, it's a country pop song. It actually sounds a lot like something the Eagles would have written, but the arrangement and the production is definitely inspired by Naive Melody by the Talking Heads. This must be the place. place. And Till the Right One Comes, This Must Be the Place. Yeah. It's like trying to find something or finding something. Yeah. There's that one particular line in it that has a. It's like very fluttery. I think that flutter lends itself well to the idea of, you know, maybe the idea of like fluttering butterflies in your stomach of till the right one comes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's like a little taste of optimism on the record. With Even nice the- little hand claps. Yeah. <laughs> very cute. Yeah. It is very cute. Um, but yeah, musically, this is this kind of reminds me of the song The Long Run by the Eagles mixed with the Talking Heads, which is yeah. something I don't ever <laughs> want to hear. But I think this song does whatever that monstrosity would look like. It does it well. You know? It does. I agree. We're big Talking Heads fans too. So I didn't. I actually didn't really gather that upon first listen. It definitely brought a sense of familiarity to me. But once you said that, I was like, totally. Yeah. That part right there is directly inspired. It's not by it. trying to be naive melody, mm-hmm. but it's like he heard naive melody and he's like, oh, I want some of those tricks. I want to sprinkle. But also some of- naive melody as well as till the right one comes. They both have a very. Um, I don't know if it's a four on the floor for this one. I think yeah. it is. But either way, you have this like you know, groove to it. It's not just like, you know, a slower kind of country, more spacey and sparse song. This one definitely provides more of um of a groove to it, which I think is a parallel between the two tracks as well. Yeah. And just going back to the country element of this and the Eagles element, by like 1979 or 1980, whenever the long run by the Eagles came out, they were firmly planted in the world of yacht rock. And <laughs> they had moved so far away from their hippie country roots towards subdued country mainly through just an acoustic guitar as the rhythm that's basically the only country element that was remaining with the happy chords g c yeah and that i think that's kind of what reminds me of uh you know latter day eagles worst church ever we once (laughs) would not join that um oh we once again like you said like the happier chords like you see the vibrancy in the music reflecting in the vibrancy of the optimism of the lyrical content where songs like why you know love me there's more tension there's more dissonance there's minor chords it does complement that quite nicely but i guess i just feel like was a song about losing hope but trying to convince yourself to hold on Mm -hmm. and till the right one comes is him holding on but also trying to be optimistic yeah and you can hear that in the outro where he's like who's that knocking at my door with that, that sassy melody yeah i would um, love to hear david burns sing this yeah and i'm i do a, like okay. who's that knocking at my door <laughs> i do a very um i mean i like to think it's a great david Byrne impression i'm not going to do it right now because i'm being put on the spot um but maybe one day i'll do a I'll perform this if privately. We do, if we ever <laughs> review Stop Making Sense as part Which of like a retro we're going to, perspective series. Because 
I have a great theory about that concert film. Yeah, so I was actually going to pitch that she was the next episode. Anyway, that's a different conversation. <laughs> but Mad Talking Heads vibes on this one. Personally, I really love this one too. It's all smooth sailing. I like this one. So there's two moments on this whole record that I disagree with. I agree. Fundamentally disagree. And wait, wait. So the first one. Last Train Home. Is Last Train Home when, when what's her, Khloe Kardashian Marin. comes in. And, and she goes, ha. <laughs> yeah. She's like our, our um, we have a character in the car called the overly active backup singer. Yeah. Where it's just someone who's just like in the booth, like ready to riff at any moment. Trying to hog the spotlight. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the he, song doesn't need it. Yeah, yeah. And just like overly singing. Anyway, so it's that moment is the first one that I don't like. And the second one and is, should we do it at the same do time? Do, 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 yeah, do. you did it. <laughs> that is so painfully white yeah i cr i am icked out to my core as soon as i heard that part for the first time i was like uh and i'm like picturing seeing this live and the song you know you're in the groove and it's just like that and you hear people going like wow and it's mm -hmm. just that stupid dropout i'm like oh, it's, it's very yeehaw it's so just white it's, it's very so, hoedown there was like i said two elements on this record that i don't like mm -hmm. and this is the second that's one. a good track record <laughs> yeah just disliking two things yep um just going back to those lyrics in the outro, they're very fantastical. Mm -hmm. Like he's imagining someone knocking on his door and throwing their arms around him. And like he's just trying to picture this possible future that might be coming soon. Oh, the La La Land. Yeah. And, I'm crying again. But he's being optimistic. And, mm -hmm. and Matt, and when you uh, put those happy chords underneath it, like a G and a C, it sounds optimistic. And you're like, I have hope for this kid. I hope mm -hmm. he does well. This kid. We're about I, I 25 well. years as his junior, but this yeah. kid. Um, it's definitely the flip side of, I guess I just feel like. Totally. Yeah. And I think too, going back to that one part we don't like, that part right there is to me what people think john mayer sounds like all the time it has mm. that like your body is a wonderland flavor i don't know it's just like that to me isn't john mayer's style it doesn't do him justice in my opinion moments like that they just uh there's no point i would have cut it yeah i agree the song's driving along it's yeah then it just takes you out but maybe that's also because we're thinking of talking heads stop making sense which is a movie where every song is a just them them running there's no real breaks maybe right. there's one like the dun, dun, tick, tick, dun, dun, tick, tick, yeah whatever yeah but even that one has momentum this one is just kind of like everything drops out and it's just the most twangy it's so bitch white ass. boy thing yeah so bitch ass part of my french yeah. <laughs> but overall this song was another grower not a shower for me yeah it was kind of a snoozer at first in my opinion and it felt like when i first heard it i said to you this is also just full disclosure again we kind of discussed certain feelings about this just because Somewhat. john mayer is different yeah. john mayer's different <laughs> so um yeah, we discussed certain things about it. One of the things I said was that this song sounded like he he knew that there were too many kind of low-key songs and he tried to dress this one up with hand claps and little synth parts to kind of keep the momentum going when it, it just sounded like he may have thought that there was a dip in the album and this was him trying to write that, you know, yeah. like trying to correct that. But now I, I really like the song and one of my favorite parts is the hook. Mm -hmm. That bluesy note bluesy but with, bluesy. A, with a it's a two-part harmony and i think that's just a really nice little uh yeah i like that other melody he brings in at the end the who's that knocking on my door i like yeah. that one that's cool the, who's that put your arms around me or whatever <laughs> <laughs> give it a little 
a nice little bluesy I'm flavor. I'm a white boy. I got no soul at all, so I couldn't. I couldn't do it. <laughs> He's got more soul than me. <laughs> blue-eyed soul. Another thing people like to categorize John Mayer blue-eyed as. Blue-eyed soul. What? Yeah, people call him blue-eyed soul because is he they, the Righteous people, Brothers. <laughs> like, people try to say he's like Eric Clapton Part Two, which, like I said, Eric Clapton doesn't have shit on John Mayer. I'm sorry, you need to hear it. I'm yeah, you. I like that you muffled your uh, voice when you were trying to project. Yo, yeah, why'd I do that? I don't know. That was you, gross. You went. I got something to tell everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I make excellent judgment calls, but yeah, that was uh, till the right one comes. Why don't we go into Carry Me Away? Carry me away. I don't know if I could. I don't have good upper <laughs> oh, body strength. Excuse me. Wow. <laughs> no shots. No shots in the dark. Um, oh. <laughs> look at me coming through my John Mayer puns. I knew it was good for one well, thing. Well, there's no shots in the dark because you found a new light. I did. I did. I, we got the mood lighting back. So the thoughts will be much clearer now. Um, I like this one. This was another grower, not a shower. Really? I love this one. Mm-hmm. This song is, hear me out. It's a spawn of Love on the Weekend. Yes. This is like if Love Sonic on the Weekend. Sister. Totally. Yeah. Love on the Weekend has a sister. Would you like to meet her? Yes. And it's <laughs> Carry Me Away. Love it. What mm-hmm. answer. But this song's been around for a while. You know what, though? So there were two songs. There's Carry Me Away and Guess I Just Feel Like that both, like we said, came out earlier in addition to New Light. And both of them I didn't really hear maybe as much, whereas this one, once I did listen to it, I was like, oh, yeah. it's not that it was a grower and not a shower. It's that I, my fault, slept on it. Yeah, I and then when even, I heard it, I was like, oof, I like this. I didn't even notice when this one came out. Probably because... It snuck up on Because New Light was such a big song. Yeah, I think so. And I may have listened to a bit of this and I was like, mm. mm-hmm. you know what? It, you know what it is? This was before we knew about Sob Rock. And the beginning of the song sounds like very... He's wearing a leather jacket. He pops his collar. Yep. And it's like very Brian Adams. Mm-hmm. Like that, that kind of palm-muted... Yeah. electric guitar or like very rick springfield maybe when i first heard it i was like eh, it's very 80s and i kind of just ignored it right but i forgot i didn't even notice this song when it came out but i love this song me too i like Great this one momentum a lot. Yeah, this one has a great momentum. I think um, the chorus is very uplifting, as if you're being carried away. Yeah, into and it's like, not an anti-chorus. This yeah, one it's like is a proper chorus. A proper chorus. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's very uplifting, as if you're almost being like carried away into like a daydream or a happier place. And then I find the verses to be a little bit more uncertain or a little bit more melancholic, uh, or even like just the idea that the verses sound like they're anchored in reality, and then being carried away is the optimism that the chorus brings. Yeah. Is how I kind of hear this song. Absolutely. I, I totally get that. That's a great point. And then um, I, I was also laughing while we were listening to it. You were like, why are you laughing? I was wondering because he says uh, in my tequila cup or whatever, mm-hmm. I just pictured you singing sippy cup because you've really tainted me ever since Toxic when I think you played it live and you oh, yeah. said <laughs> from, from the devil's <laughs> cup, but you replaced it with sippy cup. And now I keep singing sippy cup in this one. 
Anyway, stupid. Would you sip tequila from a sippy cup? Come I on, don't be, know. be real. You might have a problem if you do. In front of <laughs> Nick all, Jonas all, would. In front of all two of our <laughs> listeners, will you sip tequila from a sippy cup? Sure, moms. Um, <laughs> the interesting thing is the reason I had to look it up to make sure that this was the song that came out in 2019 with, I guess I just feel like, is the first verse he says, this summer's been such a bummer. I'm way too safe inside my bubble. predicting covid john mayer basically predicted covid in a weird way he predicted bubbles and yeah summer inside a home yeah bummer i wonder if anyone else has noticed that probably there's very very nerdy john mayer fans Mm -hmm. crawling all over reddit (laughs) yeah i'm probably one of them yeah i really do love this one i think this one it's a it's an excellent second last song on the album it's my third favorite song on the album yeah, you know what? That's fair. New Light, Why You Know Love Me, and then Carry Me Away. But that's the interesting solid. thing, I mean, maybe that's a problem because two of those songs came out years ago. Mm. But do you think this one sticks out? Like, or no, do you think it no, fits it in? I think this one it fits doesn't. in more because than New Light. It has that U2 reverb piano again mm, that yeah. you heard in uh, Shot in the Dark. Right. So that's really cool that. Yeah, the keys was... are nice in, in the mix, too. Yeah. Like, they're not too high, they're a little lower. Nice sense of space to them. I'm willing to wager that this song and the rest, even though this song came out in 2019, some of this was recorded um, in, maybe he had separate sessions. Like in 2019, he recorded some of Sob Rock and then Mm. took a break and then continued in 2020. I know that he recorded a lot of it during the pandemic, but I hear Shot in the Dark and Carry Me Away as being kind of of the same cloth. I agree with you you on that. Yeah. The other thing about that piano is like, there's that like Joe Jackson. Is she really going out with him? Piano at the end. And that's a nice little uh, Mm -hmm. late 70s, early 80s nod. Let it wash over you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, I love this one. Oh, and, and then the other thing, going back to Love on the Weekend, which by the way is... This great Taylor Swift-esque song <laughs> that's on the search for everything. It has this one part, which is, uh, Baby, take me down and going down, 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 down. And that melody shows up again on this song in, mm. uh, You're just the kind of crazy I've been looking for. Yeah. Right before the chorus. And it's the exact same trick. And yeah, I, I think those two songs are like siblings. Down there below us, under the clouds, baby, take my hand and pull me down, down. Wait, no, what I even didn't even realize. So when I know Katy Perry and Taylor Swift had their whole feud and then bad blood and all that, but oh, but I didn't even I completely forgot. Like, so I thought that was all about the like. If you don't know, Taylor Swift. He dated both of them. She did. He dated both of them, but Taylor Swift had dancers, and then they all left her tour to go be with Katy Perry. Which then details came out later that apparently they felt overworked and underpaid, and Katy Perry was willing to pay them more. Some something to that effect. I might be. I'm paraphrasing. Um, but yeah, John Mayer did date both of them. Do you think Taylor that, first than Katie? Do you think Love on the Weekend was him trying to like jab Katy Perry and be like, "Oh, I'm Ooh. I'm writing a song in the style of my ex, my of, hype, of super successful." Rival. Yeah, you know what? Could be. Mm. That's a yeah. I I didn't even book that one. Have I not realized that? Yeah, um, Love on the Weekend is one of my favorite John Mayer songs. Really, I love that song. What's like your number one favorite? <sighs> um st patrick's day 
Really? Yeah, I love St. Patrick's Day. Room for Squares, great album. Those chords? Mm. Daniel Konikoff, who uh, wrote the theme (laughs) song for this show, he actually showed me that song. And ever since then, we've basically just been ripping that song apart and using the chords for our (laughs) own songs. And uh, that's a great way to learn like new chord shapes. Listen to St. Patrick's Day and you'll hear all of these chords that go together and you're like, oh, I didn't Beautiful really think of those voicing. combinations. But so once you good. figure out the fingerings, it's, it's great. You know what's funny is also when I worked with um, Daniel on something, he also played St. Patrick's Day at one point. He's mm-hmm. This is also a Daniel Konikoff fan account, by Appreciation the way. Appreciation podcast. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's, that's a great choice, I think, for your number one favorite. What's your favorite? I mean, like... I'm going to say Neon, even though there's so many other ones that I definitely love. But Neon's the one that, like, I feel like as long as I've ever been able to play guitar, I'm like, I've tried to learn that one. And everyone else who ever loves John Mayer and wants to learn it on guitar, it's like a constant learning process. Like, Mm -hmm. you will never fully be able to play Neon. And so that's the one that, like, when I go to see him live, I'm like, I really hope he plays Neon. But there's so many other ones that, like, are more sentimental to me. Your body's a wonderland. Yeah, God, not that one. Um, it's funny because when when um, I was looking at a Dead and Company Facebook video, I think mm-hmm. it was just like one of those videos that the algorithm kind of pushes on you because I think they're touring again. Mm-hmm. And it was a video of John Mayer playing with them, with the surviving members of the Grateful Dead. And all of the comments were people saying, I'm so surprised. John Mayer is killing it. Like Jerry Garcia would be so happy. I thought he was just the Bodies of Wonderland guy. Ugh. I didn't realize that people are like, especially no, jam people band are people really are really like that. But you'd think that jam band people would, would be more aware of his body yeah. of work. You, you would know? think, but also, yeah, because they're the type that dig into a catalog, which is like we said, John Mayer's fan base likes to dig into the catalog. Mm. I don't know, just people really, really like to characterize him as like the soft rock chum FM mom douchebag. And it really bothers me because I'm like, he has more Sorry, to- Mom. Yeah. <laughs> not no no, not MJ. She's an angel. But John has so much more to offer, as we can see through listening to this album and through his whole body of work. He has so much more to offer as a songwriter, as a guitarist, as a singer, everything. And just like God, it makes me mad. It's like my little pet peeve. Sit down, sit down. I know, I'm getting heated over here. My chair's squeaking. (laughs) But yes, a great song, Carry Me Away. It carried me away when I was listening to it. And maybe we should be carried away to the next song. Let's do it. The final track. All I want is to be with you. I'll get dressed in the town tonight. Meet some faces Katy Perry really did a number on this guy. Did she ever? This is like the, once again, same as Search for Everything with You're Gonna Live Forever and Me. We have another incredibly melancholic album closer. Yeah. And he's basically telling her, all I want is to be with you. And there's that great line where everything drops out at the end. And he's saying, you know, they said that I would hurt you, Mm -hmm. but you were different. Yeah. And that's really, he's trying to... So sad. He's looking past all of the heads of the listeners and looking directly at Katie in the back of the room and mm-hmm. saying, like, you were different. I wonder if he listens to these. Okay, I do not understand. And this is from someone who also loved Orlando Bloom growing up. I truly do not understand how she does not hear these things he has to say. Mm. And I'm sure what he said to her in private and not want to work it out and be with him. 
Maybe you should just hated his music. Well, <laughs> I'd have more irreconcilable differences. Actually, I actually recently went through Katy Perry's catalog, <laughs> and I remember there was one night where I was listening to them, like. Yo, I talked a lot of shit. Like, she's got some oh, yeah. heaters in there. The one that got away. Oh, and I love Thinking of You. It's a beautiful song. Mm. Anyway, yeah, she really did a number on her boy. Yeah, and the result is this song, which is a... <laughs> these past two albums, actually. <laughs> these two past albums, but also this song, which is a pure country song. It, it almost sounds like it could be a Johnny Cash song. We're mm, singing yeah. in a low register. Mm-hmm. All I want is, you know. Very true. And especially with that guitar sound, mm-hmm. the, he sounds like a cowboy riding alone through alone cowboy. through like an Arizona desert. It's just such a cowboy song to me. Not in like a bad way, just in like a lonely, yep. stuck in a desert and you feel isolated. Yeah, there's also like sparseness to it and there's like um there's certain elements where I can't remember what sound in particular it is, but it's like, mm-hmm. and there's like a long tail to it where it just like, it creates a big sense of space to the song. Like echoes through a desert. Yeah, and, exactly. And I think that's just how he feels. He feels like an isolated person in a desert and he yep. doesn't know which direction to go in mm-hmm. and he's hoping to find his way back home to be right. carried away. <laughs> Katie'd away. Yeah. I always get this song mixed up with, I guess I just feel like. Yeah. Okay. And that's kind of an issue for me. Yeah. This one's like, I really like it. Mm-hmm. I like it as an album closer. I think it was a good choice to put it there. But, you know, for all Especially intents, with that wailing solo at the yeah, end. Yeah, I yeah, I love it. I love that. I love the guitar tone. Great way to end. But it's like, if I'm going to compare this album with the Search for Everything that came out prior to this, in terms of album closers, You're Gonna Live Forever in Me is just pure magic. Yeah. But they're also like very different they're songs. They're very different. Very different. That's why I don't even feel like it's perfectly fair to compare them. Yeah. But I think... You're kind of justified in comparing them. They're definitely not polar opposites. I think they're just different chapters of the same book. Agreed. Yeah, they're yeah. talking about the same person. And I think through New Light, they probably... That's the intermission, maybe. And um, so I think you're allowed to compare them. But they're very different albums. But thematically, they're the exact same. Right. You know? And I also love the lyric, dance along to Deja Vu. Is he talking about Olivia Rodrigo or is he talking about dancing along and going out at night is just a repetitive thing for him? (laughs) That, or is it referencing Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young? (laughs) Maybe, because that would make more sense. Given the era. Maybe, who knows? Deja Vu is a really common concept thrown into a lot of he likes pop songs. culture like he's very in tune with pop cultures yeah. is, is the only but i feel way like I he's a taylor it. swift too where he puts little lyrical easter eggs in his songs i think yeah maybe that's why it was like you know love on the weekend stuff like this i don't know could Who be knows? deja Who's vu could be crosby stills nash and young yeah um and they're or definitely could just be deja vu <laughs> yeah or it could be crosby stills nash young and rodrigo yeah is, <laughs> don't yeah. hire that law firm you'll lose the case <laughs> do you get deja vu huh? um yeah, that wailing guitar solo at the end is really awesome. And uh, it just sounds like he's really frustrated, but also very like, mm-hmm. like he wants to find his way home. And yeah. I think that's the great thing with John Mayer's guitar playing, which we haven't even really talked about. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly. His guitar playing, it's like... It's very expressive. He uses it as another voice rather than as this testosterone masculine extension of his uh, private parts. Uh, yeah. You said it clearly. People always ask like, oh, who's your favorite guitar player? I truthfully would say John Mayer and George Harrison personally, mm-hmm. like in terms of my taste, but... And Paul also, McCartney for me. Yeah, yeah. And um, I also love Jimi Hendrix because 
Jimmy. It's clean tone. It's clean tone Jimmy is yeah, yeah. Like Wind Cries, Mary, Castles Made of Sam. That's those that's my general shit right there. But to me, like Clean Tone Jimmy sounds like a like a mobster <laughs> it in does. Brooklyn. It's clean tone Jimmy. No, was that clean we talking clean tone Jimmy? <laughs> um but yeah, I don't know. It's just like Jimi Hendrix and all those other players I mentioned, including John Mayer, they make the guitar sing. They make it more of I'm, I love yep. that you also mentioned like it being a, you know, a hyper masculine extension of a, you know. I'm just like I pardon my French, you can cut this out. I fucking hate these bands like Greta Van Fleet, Munskin, whoever the hell they're however you pronounce that. These bands that just Moleskin. over yeah, they like over technify, if that is even a term, I'm gonna make it one. Everything they need to do be needs to be a complete and total display of their technical abilities. Mm-hmm. And it's just so frustrating. And to me, it's like it's so much more impressive if, like you said earlier, even though he is this amazing guitar player, better than those people. He can still serve the song and he can also do a, a solo like this, but it doesn't come off as overindulgent. Yeah. It's not embarrassing. It's not hyper-masculine mm-hmm. or any of those things that a lot of, you know, guitar solos kind of have inherently baked in them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, know? you don't have to shred to make a point. Ugh. Just you should always serve the song. Yeah. You know, if you have a pencil. I don't care how fast you can write with a pencil. I want to know the sentence that you're writing. Yeah, and, and that's make, the thing. Is, I and think is it John, meaningful? Yeah, and John Mayer really has that philosophy that you all, you always mention this too, where it's like, you hear you explain it, like your whole thing of like... I don't like people... This is usually pertaining to like music producers and music engineers that just, they say, oh, your music isn't good because you didn't use this piece of gear. You didn't use this plugin. You didn't use this piece of analog technology from 1965 or these tube amps, whatever. That's like being more obsessed with a pencil than the idea. Mm-hmm. You need a good idea. It doesn't matter what pencils you're using. You can have the greatest, for example, you could have the greatest fountain pen mm-hmm. ever. But at the end of the day, if you don't have a good idea... It's meaningless. It's, it's useless. Yeah, yeah, you know? totally. Just because you have a guitar doesn't mean you have to use it every single second, shredding. Use it to comment on a theme. And that's when it's most effectively used exactly right yeah i just i really love that he in my opinion actually no objectively he steers really clear of that and even though he's he's in a jam band he's he plays with dead and co he doesn't bring that with him but also the grateful dead their whole shtick was that they were about the vibe and and it wasn't shredding yeah and it wasn't trying to be superficial Mm -hmm. they were still trying to mine depth and yeah, that was they're like, making like rhythmic loops and, and stuff like that where, like, that people can get lost in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're, cre- they're painting a scene. Yeah. You're supposed to use the guitar solo to elaborate on what the song is about. Not You're not using it just to fill up space and show off how talented you are. That's not the point. Yeah, that's so, to me, like cringy, Led Zeppelin-y. Like mm-hmm. everyone needs to have their moment to flex. We need a 10 minute drum solo. No, we the don't. Only, the only person no, who cares don't. about the 10 minute drum solo is guess who? The drummer. No mm-hmm. one else cares. I'm sorry. Yeah. Cut it down. Trim the fat. Serve the song. Boom. You heard it here first. Exactly. God, I hate that. Anyway, why don't we move into concluding thoughts on this record? Sure. Why don't you go first? So I have been listening to Saw Brock nonstop Every time I have posted in my Instagram story. But you haven't been sobbing. I haven't been sobbing. Not like I've been La La Land. Yeah. No, no La La Land tears up in here. Um, anytime I've posted um, me listening to Sob Rock and my story on Instagram, there's at least like three people that respond to it and say, 
oh my God, I'm obsessed with this album. I can't stop listening to it. Um, another response I got was my friend saying, oh, like, I'm so surprised that I always wrote off John Mayer as being everything we described earlier in the podcast, but holy shit, like, I'm so excited. I have a whole back catalog to get into now. It's nice that it is, it's one, doing commercially, it's doing very well. Mm-hmm. But two, it's like, I hope that it's a great entry point for future John Mayer fans to get into his music and then kind of like reverse engineer his catalog, which I think is cool. I think he did a great job of building the brand of the aesthetic for Saab Rock. Absolutely. Everything from when you open up Spotify and it's the old Sony cassette, the nice price sticker I mentioned earlier, the tones, the plugins, the songs themselves, every single thing reflects the theme. And as someone who's a purist, when I like to, you know, if I see someone going for a vision, I like when it's executed to the best of its ability Mm -hmm. while maintaining an original touch, might I add. And I think he does such a great job of doing that. (laughs) I also wrote down, Sob Rock, alternate title. John Mayer got a new chorus pedal and he wants you to know it. Um, Oh, also like the Ringer publication, magazine, whatever you want to call them. They refer to Sob Rock as a turquoise tinted illumination of dire straits, which is funny because that's like... I hate turquoise as a color, and I also don't like dire straits. But you know what? Like wild blue is very Sultans of Swing. But basically, my point is, is like we mentioned earlier, I have this um, hesitation when it comes to 80s tones and 80s production etc and even though this album and 80s fashion and 80s fashion which i hate for the most part but you know it's this album's kind of using all of these things and kind of like i don't want to say forcing me to indulge in it for a minute Mm -hmm. but showing me the good stuff that comes with it and making me appreciate those things you know and also i think it's interesting because john himself describes sob rock as in quotes pretend someone made a record in 1988 shelved it and it was just found this year. Mm. I think he did a really great job of making that happen. And personally, I love it. Yeah. It's interesting because like I hear not only 1988, I hear like late 70s to late 80s. Yeah. So he's covering a wide span. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if Why You No Love Me sounds like 1988. That sounds no, like doesn't. 1979 to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But overall, what's your uh, power ranking? <sighs> My power ranking? say nine out of ten really maybe even honestly well if i'm saying like you know 10 is like pet sounds to me i'll say like 8.5 but like other than like i said those two moments of chloe kardashian destroying last train home in the latter half (laughs) (laughs) and um that super white dropout in um till the right one comes Mm -hmm. i can't find any element of this record that i don't agree with or i don't like i listen to it every single day and when i do listen to it i'm typically or sorry i'm not usually picking individual songs i'm just like letting it play mm. which is pretty rare for like a contemporary release right anyway so i'm gonna i'm gonna say 8.8 if you okay. want to do what you did last time do it, pick, do a, it. pick a Why weird not? ass number okay um, let's move on to you what, what's give me your opinion yeah so again like i'm not a huge 80s fan just like you said but i think that this was a very tasteful execution it didn't become parody like Mm -hmm. weezer's teal album oh god where they're literally doing africa by toto (laughs) and those albums might actually be interesting to compare just because they both kind of came out around the same time and they're both wait did that come out recently teal it came out 
last year, like oh, 2019. Oh, really? 2019, I thought it came out much earlier for some reason. So I think this album does a good job of acting as a chapter two to The Search for Everything. Mm-hmm. Naturally, I'm going to compare them. I think The Search for Everything is a better album. The Search for Everything is a more eclectic album. There's more diversity in the styles. Like, um, Still Feel Like Your Man is completely different than, say, uh, You're Gonna Live Forever in Me. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I don't know if All I Want Is To Be With You is that different from, like, I guess I just feel like, right. you know? I, I think there's a bit of a dip on the album at a certain point. Probably, I want to say... Like you listen to Side A more than Side B type thing? I probably listen to Side A of this album okay. more. And like the big issue I have with it, as you know, is that it doesn't really feel like an album to me. It feels like an EP with three early singles included to fill time. New Light for me sticks out like a sore thumb. I love that song, but I don't think it should be on here. And it kind of detracts from the album for me because that is, in my opinion, the strongest song on the album. But you don't, but like you said, you don't even think of that song as part of the album because it's been so, it's been out for three years. Yeah, it does stick out to me. But I think thematically, not production wise or song, you know, in the sense of the song, but just thematically, it fits in that universe. I think it would have fit more thematically if it opened the album because then you'd be it like could, you it said, serve yeah, as, yeah. A, as a prologue. But also, it is like he's the, not he's forty now. He's not pushing yeah. <laughs> forty in the friend zone anymore. You know, but it is like the perfect sonic bridge between Search for Everything and Saw Rock. Yeah, it, it leads it, you in nicely in terms yeah. of like a taste of the eighties in terms of production, but pop like the yeah, Search for Everything. Exactly. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's a pop song that would be more at home on the Search for Everything. I think it's more part of that era. Mm-hmm. But he is using 80s instruments in the production of it that act as a bridge towards uh, yeah, those it's a, two it's worlds. a great bridge. Maybe a little jarring as a track three. Mm. I'll agree with you on that. I just want this boy to be happy. Me too. You know? I want our king, our, my other JM in my life to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I love my JMs. What can I say? Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I really want him to to find happiness. And I'd be curious to see what that album sounds like when not even if and when when he does mm-hmm. i'm putting that out there for him yeah um, do you think that his next album is going to be a continuation of this perry saga or is it going to be something else i feel like he's a type where he might make it like a perry trilogy but also i feel like he's the type to be aware of if something is going to get tired or over harped on and i think he might be the type to reintroduce some new themes mm. i could see him doing something weird maybe for his next album right like I mean, he, this he, is technically a weird album because... Yeah, it's kind of... It's a little out there. Like, think about it. All of his other albums are just albums. Right. This album is really... It's trying in its presentation and its production. It's trying to be another era. And like you said earlier, he's very nostalgic for a better time. And that's reflected in the music choices, this 80s nostalgia yeah. of his childhood. Yeah. Um, that was a more hopeful and optimistic time for him, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's done well. So it's not gimmicky like Weezer's Teal album. Ugh. But I, overall, yeah, I think the big issue for me is like I love the songs. I think that he does a great job of marrying lyrics and uh, the music and the melodies are really good. And I like that he's playing around with anti-choruses. But the big issue for me is still that it feels like an EP with three early singles on it. Okay. Overall, I'd probably give this a 7.8. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair rating. For 1978. Hey, when Yacht Rock there you go. was in full force. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd probably give this like a 7.8. But that being said, very excited to um, sing these songs live. Oh, I cannot wait. I'm so we excited. We got good seats too. We did. We got some pretty good seats. We're going with uh, my sister. It's going to be great. And we're going to have a lot of fun at the John Mayer show. 
anyway, I think we've said uh, what we've got to say. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to our next episode if I'm allowed to do my talking heads ramble. And the great thing about Stop Making Sense is it belongs to, just going back to the beginning, belongs to your 80s exception playlist. Hell yeah, it does. Look at this perfect bookend. Perfect bookend. From two 60s nerds that scoff away 80s music. I'm Bianca. And I'm Julian. Thank you for listening. John Mayer concert and me not. Thank you for doing this before the concert, by the way. Best breakup. He is the Cheryl Crow of our generation. <laughs>